You want to throw away three years of work for this? You know what? Yeah, you're right. Let me let me go go back, ask, you know, do more research and, you know, get more feedback from students before we take such a such a step. Then our bus comes back two days later, having played around with it a little bit. Rami, we need to pivot. <laughs> we need to do it now. This is amazing. Two years ago, I interviewed Abbas and Rami to talk about Umaker. And Umaker at the time was a marketplace that connected engineers with inventors to help democratize the invention process. It's safe to say that the business that they describe today is a little bit different and may challenge some notions that some of you hold. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast powered by the Harvey Nash Group, presented by myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some tech news. Joining me today, I've got Akish. Hello. I've got Salem, who is a new co-host. Hello, hello. Akish, you got a bit of heat on you now. you got to perform. I'm going to take your job. Take your job. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Take it, I won't worry too much. Yeah. He did just tell us that he didn't listen very carefully yesterday. (laughs) Had to re-listen, so excellent prep. (laughs) Oh, the more the merrier, eh? The more the merrier. Um, You know, it's it's, it's good to add some new voices, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rest in peace to uh, Hayley, uh, Courtney. Uh, <laughs> they're not Al- dead Alyssa Evie uh, Josie Jack Robin, <laughs> Robin are, the, yeah. are these oh, all the other people that have been on the podcast then yeah and, and according to Akeisha passed away no, they, uh, they, no they, they've not passed away uh, condolences just, condolences yeah they're just not here anymore <laughs> uh, <laughs> part of the history part of the rich tapestry of the podcast um, just a quick one before we dive into into the interview uh, Salim, thanks for joining us on it because um, you're also going to have a quick chat with us about Black Black History Month at the end of the podcast. Yes, yeah. so worth sticking around for that. And hey, if you enjoy it, you can come back for future podcasts. I mean, it would be my pleasure. Let's huge, see how this goes, eh? Yeah, huge platform. Maybe I can shout on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> how, how big's your Instagram following? Ah, uh, not very big. Only got like one thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not that's not bad. That's like double mine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm having a look at what Dave's is at the moment. My personal one's about five hundred. It is, yeah, yeah. But the Tech Talks one two thousand three hundred. I'd say you are the face of Tech Talks. The voice yeah. of Tech Talks. Yeah, yeah. But we follow about three thousand on that, so yeah. it's not. It's it's. No, the ratios. The ratios. It's not it's good. All, it's all relative. <laughs> right let's dive into today's interview it's with abbas and rami as uh, i said in the intro they've had a massive pivot from what they were doing previously we're going to play the interview and then we're going to have some fun with the product afterwards so joining me today i've got abbas and rami co-founders of umaker uh, abbas and rami co-founders of umaker might be familiar to people who've listened to the podcast for a while because we've said that before probably about 100 or 150 episodes back <laughs> i'm starting to think at some stage like if i appear on tech talks more than a certain number of occasions i have to get a prize or like a statue or something can you <laughs> <laughs> that suggests that we've got prizes to give out um I'd like to think that the podcast will one day somehow break through to the point that I've got the uh, the ability to do that. Um, but look, the, the you maker that we talked about um, back then, I'm trying to remember if it was pre-pandemic or I think it was pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. um, is a different you maker to the one today, right? 
That's correct. Um, when we started this particular journey, um, Rami and I wanted to change the world of inventions. Um, that was the the genesis of uh, of the business model. And um, as we delved into that particular world, we got a tremendous amount of feedback from uh, the customers that we signed. Um, and for a while, you know, the business was actually really successful. You know, we were making money and uh, the, the sentiment was tremendous. Um, that being said, um, the feedback from our customers was that in the first instance, there was no pressing need to you know, press the buy button as it relates to the invention process. Um, and then the second variable was with regards to just the recurring revenue stream. Um, and how often can that be generated through a centralized platform? And then finally, you know, when it comes to the invention process, you know, it's very personable, it's very private, and uh, inventors are very protective of that. Um, can we as a platform earn their trust, you know, to, to part for an inventor and to bring their idea onto the platform? And the idea was uncertain, I think. Um, we, we, we couldn't quite crack that particular uh, conundrum. And um, then we started getting a lot of feedback from our our customers with regards to writing. Um, and I think Rami's in a good position to uh, to kind of give you an overview as to how that conversation evolved and brings us to the point where we are today. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been one hell of a journey. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost like you maker now, even though the name fits so well for what we do now, <laughs> It is a completely different company. We pretty much just kept the team and the name. Um, and it just goes to show that startups have to be so adaptable and so malleable for them to uh, push through and, and really build something that the people want. And so what happened with the, with the previous version of Umaker, um, we discovered that a lot of our customers were, in fact, engineering students. Mm. And they wanted help building their final year engineering project, like as, as an invention. And so when we spoke to those engineering students, um, we discovered that might be a much more pressing use case than the demographic that we focused on in the past, because the engineering student had a deadline and they had a professor breathing down their neck and they had to show progress. Um, and so having a resource like our platform um, was very helpful to them. And so these are the customers that kept coming back to us. Now, speaking to those students a little bit more, we thought, okay, I mean, this, this is going well so far, but what happens a year down the line? Are they going to come back? I mean, how, how often do you create your final year project? So repeat business was going to be an issue if we just focused on that use case. So we started brainstorming, how do we increase value for students? Maybe we can, I don't know, write their reports for them. Maybe we can invite experts onto the platform that can write reports for them. What about software? What about AI? Can AI generate an engineering final year project? Um, Just to jump in, um, to go, hey, what about AI? Said same company, same team, same name, totally different products. Yeah. Who, who within the company, though, has the knowledge to build an algorithm to actually do that? To be honest, nobody. <laughs> we, 
we had to learn all of that from scratch. So we we have a very capable uh, full stack developer who has some knowledge in machine learning. Um, alongside whom I had to jump in and learn a lot about AI algorithms and see how we can experiment with this to just see whether it's even feasible. Mm -hmm. Can AI generate an essay? Can AI generate an academic paper? Is that even possible? So we started researching, and then we came across this study called um, Artificial General Intelligence for Natural Language which is a fancy name that says, can AI generate natural language? And can you steer it to generate um, formal paragraphs? Completely written from scratch. This isn't something that's plagiarized. Like it doesn't actually go somewhere on the internet, grabs the content and comes back to you. It actually writes it from scratch in a natural language. And so that, that really got our, um, our juices going, so to speak. So um, we started studying this a little bit more and discovered that, yes, it is possible. And some people have started applying this, con this, this concept for marketing purposes, for writing blogs, uh, things like that. And we thought, wait a minute, can we tailor this technology so that we can use it for academic papers? Um, and we started coding and we started testing and we, we uh, spent a few months just trying to refine that process until we did it. And, 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 <laughs> and the results are fantastic um mind-blowing it's it's, it's uh, david it's hard to capture the experience in words like mm. you have to go and just try it for yourself because this is what's going to happen when you try it for the first time and you just click that um generate button when you to generate that first paragraph like something will happen to your brain. <laughs> it will actually rewire your brain. You'll, you'll be like, holy shit, I, I've been writing wrong all my life. <laughs> like, so look, I, I, I've, I've got an idea about one way which we might try and demonstrate this to the listener because I appreciate it's very difficult to do a demo, which is what you would yeah. like to do. Right. But what we do have is the, the outlet in the, the next, as listeners regularly will know, myself and either Akish or Amber will follow this with our ramblings. Um, so how about you now suggest a topic and in between this recording and the recording that I do with my co-host, we will put whatever random topic that you give me right now into you, Maker, and then I will read out on the next part of the show whatever the AI comes up with. I like that. Okay, we're up for the challenge. What about what about what is the future of a CIO in a technology organization or in, a, in an organization? Perfect, yeah. Yes. There we go. Yeah. We'll put that in and we'll see we'll see what we come up with. You mentioned a few minutes ago about blogging and then you went back to academia or uses within the commercial sector. Why not concentrate on uses in the commercial sector? Someone like me who is a content creator who oh. writes copy for a website that I manage, that's a great tool. You know, I I sit here and I go, right, I want to write an article about XYZ. I have, I have a limited period of time to do it in. Um, I know, I'll go, I'll use Umaker, I'll get a one and a half thousand words, and then I'll, I'll put my own spin on it and I'll refine it maybe and I'll edit it. Why sure. switch back to academia? So I think in the first instance, and maybe Rami can add some additional clarity um, over and above what I'm about to say. So number one, we were already a platform that was catered towards academics. 
And so the feedback that we were getting was largely from students. And so to then incorporate the technology to target our existing um, customer base just made sense. It was just a natural evolution of the iterative process that startups go through. So that's that's point number one. Point number two is that, and I think many startups can relate to this, is that you, know, you can have a, maybe a technology or you can offer a service and you need to start determining as to who you're going to target um, and you can go for a lot of different people, as you say, I mean, we could have gone for content writing, we could have gone for legal, we could have gone for customer service. I mean, there's a lot of industries where we can apply our technology. Um, but then what the risk is, is that you maybe spread yourself a little bit too thin. And so mm-hmm. we thought at the very beginning of this pivot that we wanted to go inch wide, but mile deep, concentrate on one particular vertical, capture that aggressively and then once we've shown traction product market fit and once we have established ourselves within one particular segment then we can start looking at um, other areas rami you mentioned that it's original it's not grabbing something from the internet and therefore it's not plagiarism right yeah i do want to ask what is plagiarism because whose intellectual property is it is it yours it's your algorithm that's coming up with the writing yep yep or is it the students uh so the way we structured is the student owns the content even though they've used our tools to generate it um, the student owns the content but we have a license to that content in case it needs to be used for product improvement if we need to kind of like uh, look at the content to you know improve the output, things like that. But the student owns the content. And it's not plagiarized because unlike regular bots that are out there, our technology doesn't scour the internet in order to find a paragraph that is relevant to you and brings it back to you like the existing technologies do. Some of, the, some of these technologies, they, um, they rephrase what they bring back from the internet, but it's all based on existing content. Whereas in our case, it's real artificial intelligence. It actually generates that content from scratch. It's as though the student himself wrote it. So what's the reaction of, of academia being? What's the, I mean, I'm assuming that students have turned in paperwork and they've probably had to, they may not have referenced it because it's not a textbook, but they might have to, to cite tools that they're using. So I think in terms of like, the provision, the, the, the natural inclination for you to look at this technology is to think that professors, teaching assistants, teachers, universities are going to hate it. Um, and that's- yeah, that, look, that, that, that would be my initial. Surely they're not going to like this because they're going to have question marks. So it will be interesting to see from you what they've said. So it just so happens, actually, that we've um, been offered money uh, in the form of an investment from one of the leading universities in the United States. Um, so hopefully that should give you some inclination as to what at least academic institutions think about who we are and what it is we're, we're doing. So that's, I think, point number one. Point number two is that Rami and I, when we when we initiated the pivot and we started thinking about academia more widely, we think that academia in its current form is broken. The notion of 
memorizing so much content for the purposes of then regurgitating it in an exam. I mean, it's just so antiquated. It's so archaic. Um, and as I, as we've discussed, you know, the paradigm shift uh, and this artificial intelligence, it's coming, it's, it's not going anywhere. And um, I think academic institutions realize that. Um, and Umaker is an avenue um, through which to encourage that particular paradigm shift. So where do you see this leading? I mean, it's the kind of thing that I imagine word of mouth might spread quite quickly. If students go, oh, great, this has helped me massively, they're going to tell, they're going to tell their friends. And maybe it won't be, you know, it's a completely different tool, obviously, but if you think about the way that Facebook just exploded through universities, um, where you've got student communities, they, they will very quickly tell each other if there's something out there that's worth using, right? It's yeah, you know, but back to your earlier question, why did we focus on academia? And, and, and obviously, there are a lot of use cases, but when we pick a use case, we always focus on where the most severe needs lie. Um, and for a student, they have a much more pressing need than someone who needs to write a blog. A student has a deadline. They have their degree dependent on that assignment being finished to a high quality. Um, and, and, and they, they don't have time. <laughs> There's so much pressure, so much so that a lot of students are engaged in what's called contract cheating, mm-hmm. where they go online and they, um, hire a freelancer to do some of their assignments for them just to ease off some of that pressure. And so to have a tool like Qmaker help them generate, uh, and, and write their assignments much faster. I mean, the the sentiment has been tremendous just to you know uh, uh, put it put it in, uh, in 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 simple terms ever since we launched this we've been growing by 40% every single week without spending a penny on marketing it's all through word of mouth like our users have turned i wouldn't say advocates they've turned into missionaries <laughs> like they've turned into and to these people that go out and each student is bringing like 10 other classmates and say, you got to see this. This is, this is going to like change the world. And, and so back to your question, where do we see this leading? And uh, as Abbas already alluded to this, I think academia at large is going to change um, because what's going to happen is um, I think universities, they're not going to focus on, they're gonna, not going to focus so much on how well you string sentences together because machines will be able to do that. This is just going to be an additional tool for mankind to use in terms of generating um, coherent communication. Machines will be able to do that. What, What universities and academic institutions are going to be focusing on is how well you can steer this technology to come up with unique insight. So really, it's the unique insight, the content that the student is able to come up with that will matter as opposed to just the formal writing element of, um, of the assignment. Um, and, and this is why, you know, um, the university that uh, um, Abbas alluded to could see that. And they see that this is the future. This is how students will be carrying on their, their assignments in the future. So is, is, is the question about IP a fairly Luddite question? Is it a Luddite question? Huh. That question itself is a Luddite question. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this idea that 
you, you know, perhaps you're right. You know, you're, you're at the vanguard. This technology is coming and it's not a case of whether or not it should be allowed. It's kind of a case of, right, how, how does it get used? I, I think I think it is a Luddite question. Yes, absolutely. I think we have a lot of Luddites currently when they look at AI. We have had some pushback. Is this cheating? Is it cheating? Um, and, and I think that's down to the down to them not understanding how it actually works and how it can be integrated in, 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 in students' lives? Um, the simple answer is no, it's not cheating because the students still have to come up with their own insights. They still have, need to have their own notes. They still need to have done their own research, um, creating an outline, maybe have some mind maps around the topic that they want to write and use that insight to steer the AI to come up with relevant uh, content that fits their assignment. So really, the student is still the mastermind behind their assignment. It's just that they use this amazing tool that can do it 10 times faster. Hmm. You know, David, um, when I was back in high school, this was pre-internet days, my parents used to have like a freaking entire bookshelf of an encyclopedia. And if I was doing a, a paper on, I don't know, say volcanoes, I would go to like that one book on V and then see what information I could get. And then a couple of years later, Microsoft decided to take the entire encyclopedia and put it on a CD-ROM. And then all myself, my, the rest of the class, we, our minds were blown. Like, oh my God, we have this CD-ROM, which has an entire encyclopedia on it. Um, and then fast forward a few more years, like the internet happened, and then there's just an abundance of information. And then fast forward a few more years to what Remy said, you know, you can now go onto the internet and, you know, you can hire someone to do your essay or your writing assignment for you. Now, yeah. I could very easily just use that encyclopedia. I could just copy and paste it and put it into my writing assignment. Or I could use the encyclopedia as a tool through which to enrich my learning experience. And the same can be said for the internet. I could just blanket plagiarize off the internet, or I can use it as a tool through which to enrich uh, and enhance my, my learning experience. Um, and I don't think UMaker is any different. Uh, it, it can be abused. Certainly, um, but we look at it from the perspective that it's a, it's a tool through which to enhance the, uh, the learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, an ethical student actually will get a lot more value out of it than a shooting student um, because the process in which they use it and if they use it in its proper manner will actually result in a lot more enrichment because of the insight that they have to generate from themselves before they put it into the tool. Um, a cheating student who just clicks write more over and over again without any insight from themselves, what's going to happen? Yes, that the tool will generate paragraphs, absolutely. And they might even get a passing mark for it. But they won't pass with flying colors. They won't get an A+, for example. Whereas someone that uses it appropriately will actually get an A+. It's that good. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a a virtual research assistant for every student. Yeah. So, last question, and this is moving away from the products a little bit, but I think it's really interesting because of what the experience that you've been through. There are a lot of companies now who are probably are having to think about pivoting, and, and obviously you've, you've mentioned there you've you've almost stumbled across through that through that process of getting feedback, kind of product market fit. What do you think? What would you say to anyone about pivoting a startup? which must be scary going from something that that's the vision to, oh, hang on, no, this is the vision, especially when it's your livelihoods, your, your company, your, your people. What's your advice to them? Let me, let me tell you a little story. So 
um, obviously our pivot was steered by users. We go where the users go, and I would advise every company to do the same. Um, in, in our case, what happened was once we researched AI and discovered that it is feasible for AI to generate an academic paper, um, I actually did it, wrote an academic paper, went to Abbas and told him, hey, Abbas, take a look at this. Who do you think wrote this? And Abbas was, oh, probably a student, one of the students that we signed up. I was like, actually, nobody wrote this. AI wrote this. And, and he was like, we're very impressed. And I was like, Abbas, we need, we need, we need to pivot and, and give this to students. I've, I've had some good feedback so far, and we need to do it. And Abbas's immediate reaction was like, wait a minute. You want to throw away three years of work for this on a hunch? I mean, it's very impressive, but can we really throw away three years worth of work? Um, I'm, I'm, what am I going to tell the investors? What am I going to – what the hell? So I was like, he was like, we need, we need to do more research. And and hearing him, I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Let me let me go go back, ask, you know, do more research, and you know, get more feedback from students before we take such a such a step. Then our bus comes back two days later, having played around with it a little bit. He goes like, Rami, we need to pivot. <laughs> we need to do it now. This is amazing. Um, and so I think I think once <laughs> once once he saw it himself and played around with it properly, uh, it just it just and. In, instinctively felt like this is exactly what our demographic needed. This is what our students have been waiting for. Well, I think it's been fascinating to talk to both of you. Thank you for your time. It does sound like you're on a, it's not the start, but it almost is the start of an exciting journey. Um, I hope that growth rate continues or or even increases. Got if it. it does, I'm sure that you'll have some some long old days ahead, but hopefully be worth it. And uh, And fingers crossed when we catch up again, Maybe in a couple of years, it'll be how this has grown rather than a than a third idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know, David, what the net promoter score is. Yep. So our net promoter score is 81, which is almost illegal. Um, it's really good. And so, um, yeah, we, we feel as though um, we're onto something and, yeah. uh, and God willing, um, you know, we continue to build on what we have thus far. And next time we speak... Um, It'll be bigger. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Right. Let's dive straight into actually testing this. Because in the interview, we said, um, let's, get the, uh, let's get the program to work uh, at the title of um, The Future of the CIO. Keisha's getting a phone call, everyone, in the middle of the podcast. Thanks yeah, for, sorry. Jesus sorry. Thanks for participating. You're, you're making it easy like, for me. Like. <laughs> So let's, let's give this a go. This is this is great audio content here. I'm going on a website and I'm using a tool. Uh, have fun in the background, kids. Um, <laughs> what is the future of the CIO in industry? Right. You ready? You ready to hear what it has to say? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Here we go. I am going to hit. Sh- I'm going to hit short and write more. Here we go. It's writing. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So, what is the future of the CIO in industry? The years of growing IT complexity with the introduction of new technologies and increased demands for productivity give rise to many questions about the future of CIOs in industry. Do you want it to write more? Yeah, yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay, that's the start. 
Many experts have predicted a shortage of CIOs as companies have been forced to rely on external service providers for software, infrastructure, and more. It is not just a question of supply and demand, but also the ability to understand the changing world of technology. That that actually happened ridiculously fast. Literally in what? Less than a minute? Oh no, no, far far faster than that. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit right more one more time and I'm gonna I'm gonna video this and I'll put it up on our socials so people if they're listening go go to the tech talk socials and you will actually see this happening in real time. I'm gonna hit right more one more time. Here we go. Here come the words. The role of a chief information officer will play in the future has been debated by for many years, sorry. The CIOs have an increasing role to play as the leader at board level and is also the leader of knowledge management within organizations. I mean, that is right. It, it's it's right. Done it within seconds. It, it sounds I'm out crazy. of a job. Yeah, you know what? It actually sounds like an actual human like would write this. That's that's fairly amazing. Like yeah. how quick that is and how on 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 the money it is. Should we try it with something else just for a bit of fun? Yeah, let's try on something else. Yeah, definitely. I'm, throw throw a topic at me, one of you. Globalization. Well, that's a bit vague, Ooh. mate. Off, off, off. I'm trying. I, to, I'm trying to think of my dissertation topic. That's yeah, what I'm trying I'm, to think I'm of. I'm trying to think of mine, and you <laughs> would have done it a lot sooner than Listen, me. I thought, I done mine in about two weeks with no sleep. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'll be uh, honest. I, I kind of thought you'd go for something football related, like Cristiano Ronaldo or something. Well, let, let's let, let's go for let's go for the. How great is Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> uh, who is better? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh you're that's a good question. Better. Messi, good Messi question. or Ronaldo? Yeah, yeah. Can we, is, uh, is that who okay? is a better footballer? footballer. We all know it's messy, but or messy. Well, let's see what AI says. Uh, I'm going to video this again just because it should be entertaining. Uh, We'll go for a medium length paragraph this time. Yeah, medium. Yeah. Um, So here we go. Medium length paragraph. Who is a better footballer, Ronaldo or Messi? AI. Here we go. Write more. Here come the words. Now, people often who would win a fight. Superman or Batman. Others like to compare how they would do on the show, deal or no deal, and their odds. But at the end of the day, people can't help wonder whom is a better footballer, Ronaldo or Messi. We've taken it upon ourselves to lay out why we think Lionel has gotten all of the all of the titles but still doesn't deserve to be ranked higher than Kean on a list of the best female soccer players. Right, now that's oh. interesting. Oh. That's interesting because... A lot of the debate around this technology that I had with Rami and Abbas was, is this cheating? Is this making students work? You know, is it just writing it for you? And right there, we've proven that there is a limit to this, that it's a really useful tool that gave us some brilliant stuff around CIOs. Yeah. But it's struggling a little bit with Ronaldo and Messi. And you can't get away from the fact, and I'll be interested to see what you guys say, that it's a tool but it doesn't remove the human. You've got to step in and edit and build on it. So it could give you the start and it could give you some words. And I suppose if you've got a hidden disability or a dyslexic or something like that, um, this is going to be a really useful tool for a student, but you've still got to step in and augment it, right? Yeah, I think it can yeah. act as an um, enhancement. Um, I'm sure we've all been sat there when we've had to write uh, you know, something, whether it's a dissertation or a piece of work or 
you know, even like a, a, a something to say or a speech. And then it's like, how do I start this? You know, these are some of the things. So as, as a kind of thought provoker or, or something that could build, you know, a bit of a basis, something that's good. Um, but yeah, still, still need the human and, uh, yeah, you know, still need someone to say that CR7 is better than Messi. But anyway, we, <laughs> we, 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 we shall move on. I think, yeah, yeah. definitely it is an enhancer. Um, as in, for you're me, recent, you're a recent graduate, right? Yeah, for me, I know that if all uni students had this, I think it would make us a lot more lazier than we usually are in the first place. For example, I think 70% of my assignments I had left until the night before or two nights before to do. And then when you've got this, someone's going to leave it to the night before and then they will get a pretty good grade. I mean, but you still got to read through it and make sure it's right and exactly. then improve and build on it. But it's I mean, like it it you, you've been set 2,000 words to do the night before, basically, and it's written most of it for you. All you need to do is edit and fix a little bit of nooks and crannies. I think, I don't know whether it's a positive thing. Students will love it, though. Yeah, like, of course. The point that you make is... Oh, is I, wish, I wish I had that when I had my dissertation. <laughs> I wouldn't have lost any amount of sleep. I mean, I think it's an amazing tool. The fact that it is writing it from scratch, it's not taking anything from the internet. It is it is purely um, original writing. But here, here's, here's something, though. You, you mentioned when they were talking about CIOs, it, it, it came up and wrote something around majority of people or something like that. But it doesn't state facts or figures or reference or no, exactly, and that's numbers. where the student would have to step in. Exactly right. So it can write you stuff that sounds on trend. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the detail is going to have to come from, from the research. Yeah. Still needs to be obviously put in from a student. With- and I guess that's the key application when it comes to dissertations in the first place. It's about your research, or it's about yeah. like how well you can find the answers to your own question. That's Rami's point, isn't it? Towards the end of the interview, he says, you know, if you're a lazy student, you'll still get a rubbish mark because it's not going to do it for you. And the better students who study harder are going to get the better marks, but it's a tool to help you along the way. And it's a pretty remarkable yeah. tool. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's great. I, I really, really like it. I, uh, wish I, I wish I knew about it. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, you know, they're, they're, getting, they're getting backing from, from universities as well. So they obviously are comfortable with it and they they view it through that prism that the student still has to put the work in to achieve top marks. I think it's subjective though because I reckon some lecturers would have a, well, would feel like it's not very ethical in regards to the whole uni experience having to do your own work and all that type of stuff. Yeah, but there's always going to be people that are that push back and others that are True. kind of go, no, this is progress. And this is, I, I, if there are tools out there like this, there will be more and they will be better and better over time and people will use them. Yeah. So and to try to try and stop it is, is yeah. stupid. But also mm-hmm. if, if you look at what it's going up against and, you know, a normal student, if let's be honest, right. A normal student, I mean, you don't want to do any plagiarism or anything like that or get someone else to do your stuff for you. But I mean, that that's effectively, that's what they're going up against. So if universities are saying, look, we'll allow this, this is not going to hinder kind of, you know, people copying and, and stealing each other's ideas and work and intellectual property and that sort of thing. But this is just a way of enhancing it. So you feel and feel like you're achieving a bit more and doing a bit more. 
then that's good because if if they didn't have something like this, a student can go and buy essays, you know, from these sites that you see. Yeah, or, and they some do, and some do, and and you know, pay you know someone at university to do it for you and that sort of thing. So, however, if they're doing this, at least they're engaged. At least you know, students are wanting to put a bit of effort and work in. And I think, yeah, it's good. We're going to take a very quick break and. Um... We'll come back with a bit of a chat about Black History Month. Um, I did have one more thing to say. Yeah, go on. What if, what if we, I have actually a, a couple um, students, well, friends that are students, sorry, not actual students, um, that are still at university. And if they hear about the app or anything, like we could obviously see how well they do using it. And if they get a good grade with the dissertation, with a bunch of help from obviously this application and us telling them about it we should definitely yeah of course kind of kick, kick back. 100% 100% 100% some sort of commission or something <laughs> so basically basically you're saying if there's any students who are listening and they end up using UMaker because yeah. they've heard about it here yeah we should we should have like a 10% discount code uh, <laughs> I, I think they're gonna grow regardless um 100% yeah, but look, if you are a student, you use it or you've used it previously and you're listening, we'd love to know what your experience is. That's a good point. Right, we'll go to an advert break. When we come back, we'll talk about Black History Month. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, it is Black History Month. Um... You know, I didn't know this, by the way. Black History Month in the UK and Ireland. Canada and the US, I think it's February or March. Yep. Yes, it is. February? I yeah, always I assumed it would be the same month globally. And I only discovered that today that it's not. To be honest, I was under the impression until I was about 15, 14, that it was all on the same month. And then found out that it's on two separate months in the year in different places. Yeah. I wonder why I that it, is. I think it originated from the States. It was something, because it started it started actually as a day, then went into a week, from a week into a month mm-hmm. in the States. And I think October, November time in the States, or definitely that sort of time is, is Thanksgiving, which is obviously quite a big holiday, they like to call it, um, I think, over in the States. Yeah. Um, so I think I think they, they it just happens in Feb um, after Christmas and all that sort of thing. So, so yeah. Black History Month, as we recognise it now, um, was first proposed apparently by Black educators uh, and Black United students um, in February 1969, and it became Black History Month in the nineteen in 1970. It was adopted in the UK in 87. Canada in 1995 and Republic of Ireland in 2010. I was about to say something about that because I feel like the reason why it's in different months is because it re- represents different struggles. Yeah. Because, I mean, you hear about when you hear about the slave trade, you hear about that in America. You don't really hear about that in the UK. 
So that's why I probably like that's why I would assume it's in different months. Look, as, as a member of that community, so I mean, what does the month mean to you? You mentioned that you kind of found out about the differences between the months when you were 15. So it's obviously something that you've been aware of yeah. your whole life. I mean, the more I grow up, the more I it means the more it means to me really because when you're younger, you don't really notice certain things and as you get older, there are things that happen like discrimination and all that type of stuff as you go along and you get told by your parents but you don't really listen and that goes for anyone in any type of community whether that is asian and all that type of stuff and i don't know it means a lot more to me now because of especially because of everything that went on with george floyd and all that type of stuff so i think the black history month especially now means more yeah it means more now than it has done ever before because everyone's starting to become more aware of everyone else's situation and how people get treated and all that type of stuff so yeah i actually find it quite and look i am not well versed on this so if i say something stupid i apologize to anyone yourself and anyone listening but i always when when people talk about black history month right you assume it's about history about kind of revisionist kind of stuff around the empire and going hang on a minute we we really need to look at this through a different lens and not kind of kind of going oh the british empire wasn't that great like no a lot of blood on our hands as a nation and obviously the the culture wars around statues and so on but it it tends to be that lens looking backwards and yeah actually like you you know you talk there about about the struggle and obviously george floyd is is very topical and whatnot but the other stuff that kind of that flies under the radar and i think the black community talks about very loudly but doesn't get much press attention so the appropriation of um of trends on things like TikTok, so the fact that, yeah. that like the top trending dances tend to originate in the black community, but they only get popular when white influencers <laughs> copy them. Yeah, and then there, and, and you kind of go, well, well, why is that important? But it's like, yeah, but if the white influencer takes those dances, claims them almost as their own, and then gets a shitload of money from people through through endorsement, yeah. through advertising, whatever else. It's like, hang on a minute, stuff is still being taken from that community and and used in cultural, like, current media. I believe the word is no... gentrification. Well, it's, it's cultural appropriation, isn't it, as well? Oh, so. okay, yeah, exactly. So, And, and, I, and I, I just kind of, I think it's interesting it's called Black History Month because it kind of puts it through a slightly different lens of really, that it's it's not just in the past, right? Yeah. I think also like growing up, like in from from my perspective, being a being an ethnic minority, but not a black person or coming from a, a, a background. Um, I think it, for me, I remember in school and stuff, we always used to talk about like Maya Angelou, um, <clears throat> we used to talk Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, you know, these sorts of people, and yeah, like the the, the history element. But you mentioned TikTok, you know, things like, um, for example you know, like the sneaker culture, for example, which is a huge, mm. huge thing at the moment or last few years, people, you know, that's been derived from, you know, kind of inner states in, in the US and predominantly, you know, neighborhoods and areas where is there is a large majority of black Caribbean, Af- well, Afro-Caribbean kind of communities. Then you look at things like um, music, for example, you know, you look at all the, the greats, um, you know, 
from I don't know Stevie Wonder, the Lionel Tupac. Richie, yeah, yeah. And, and rap music, you know, wherever um, Motown, you know, these sorts of Quincy things. Jones, Michael Jackson, yeah. you know. Um, so it, 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 there's a lot of stuff I think, and 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 I agree with you as well, and and that's why I think um, specifically at Harvey Nash we're looking to celebrate and educate and not necessarily concentrate on 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 the past because I mean I mean those people that I mentioned. Um, you know they've done great and made huge sacrifices for the black community but i think about kind of moving stuff forward it's about celebrating the here and now and and kind of those that don't know maybe should you know find out ways to to educate and and get to know i think now more than ever there's definitely ways that people are being educated for example this kind of brings into like the black history but it's modern because say for example hidden figures is a movie about i think it's three or four different black women that worked at nasa mm-hmm. as mathematicians yeah. so that is a fairly new movie and so it's been brought into our generation and it's talking about a completely separate generation so that's where i think black history comes in and the black history month because then you get things like recommendations on netflix of like black history movies and all that type of stuff 12 years a slave um so i think now more than ever we are starting to be heard um i think black history month was just a month before but now it's being i can't even think of the word it's it's just being noticed it's being established more in companies as well as just us protesting on the streets Mm. yeah what do you want to see happen? You know, you look at our organisation, let's be perfectly blunt. Like most organisations, it's quite white. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's, that's not our company's fault to a degree. That's, you know, unfortunately, that's education and that's access to employment and all those other bits and pieces. And there's lots of societal trends yeah. there. But, you know, I think organisations are waking up and trying to, to do what they can. But what would you like to see a company like ours do? I think... I made a suggestion earlier, actually. Um, I think it starts from education. It starts from early. So us being able to go into schools and or help schools fund more educational programs, for example, helping black kids that are coming from less privileged backgrounds into more privileged places, getting into more privileged places, because private schools i don't even need to check statistics to know that it's majority white children or majority i don't even know there's probably more asian children than there are black children Mm. in private schools so i think if and obviously being in a private school you get different types of treatment you get into different types of places i mean most um individuals in parliament probably went to private school so I think it's a thing where if we had those same same opportunities, we could potentially be in those same places at the end. So Harvey Nash or companies like Harvey Nash just need to be able to encourage different programs from the get-go, from education. It's increasing cultural capital, right? It's, it's Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it does, that even doesn't have to be a race thing. That can be a, that can be a social mobility thing from deprived parts of the country. Like, I was lucky my parents went to university. I was aware of what opportunities there were to me. Mm. My wife, she was the first person in her family to go to university. She didn't know 
what opportunities were there because there wasn't in her family that had gone and done it yeah. before her. So yeah, the education I, I, piece is. I think yeah. I think the accessibility piece as well, which is which is huge, and I think for years, um, I mean, we're we're in the Heron Tower, right? And before all of this work from home and pandemic and everything like that, we were, you know, slap bang in the middle of city, London, Liverpool Street, you know, you can't get more city. And and I think the accessibility for people, especially in those communities kind of towards South London, towards kind of, you know, North London or East side of London, there was just not that accessibility. And people almost felt a little bit like, oh, well, you know, I can't work in these. I can't wear a blue suit and shirts and all this sort of stuff and you know <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest i think people in these towers and in no not necessarily harvey nash but definitely organization probably just turned their nose up but yeah someone who maybe didn't come from a private school or an education and uh, you, you know that sort of thing whereas i think now it, it's people are opening up their eyes and going hang on there is so much talent skill excellence and capability in those communities and why are we not doing it and sport has the same thing i mean we all kind of follow football which doesn't really have the issue but uh, you know for example you say it doesn't have the issue but well yeah i, I mean, think it has, I think it has a positive yeah. yeah i think it has but, a positive I mean, discrimination yeah. when it comes to looking at what players you want on your team if you want a winger mm. you want a black fast mm. child if you want mm. a midfielder with good vision you're looking for a solid British lad or or a defender or something like that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think, yeah, it is in sports. You're at, you're yeah. 100% right. Yeah, and, and, and also, you know, like, if you were to take, like, a, another sport that I follow, cricket, and, and, you know, if you look at the England team, there, there's only two black people. That does not represent the, you know, the, the, the kind of population yeah. of the country. And, and, and to Salem's point, they're bowlers. You never yeah. get black batsmen. No, exactly, exactly. Why are they bowlers? And, and they, you know, one bowls at 95, 90 miles an hour. Because it makes you think of terrifying West Indians. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and there's so many things. And, and I think it's just down to the access and actually making, you know, the, the industry or, or the city for all or something like that. Um, you know, and it's definitely stuff that I think the, the, the mayor of London needs to sort out, you know. Stop! Stop blimmin' increasing the ULEs and congestion charges, and start <laughs> worrying about the people you know who can actually contribute towards the city. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, look, we're kind of out of time, so uh, I think I think you did all right, Salem. We can have you back if you want to. Oh, I'd love to be back. To be honest, I actually enjoyed that very much. <laughs> Chang um, rubbish to God knows who. Listen, uh, whoever's listening, just remember me in it because I'll be back. <laughs> mum, mum, I'm on the podcast. Yeah, shout out, mum, shout out, dad. <laughs> Guys, thank you for your time. Uh, we will be back next week. Yeah, the